Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Reading from God's Word, our scripture passage continues the story of Jacob. We read from Genesis 29, verses 15 through 28. If you happen to be following along in a pew Bible, you can find that passage on pages 22 and 23. Listen to the Word of God. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was graceful and beautiful. Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all of the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her maid. When morning came, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this that you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, This is not done in our country, giving the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel as a wife. Father, sanctify us in thy truth. Thy word is truth. Amen. Well, you heard the scripture, right? If this six-week series on the life of Jacob were a TV miniseries, it would have to be on Netflix, right? I mean, this wouldn't be on regular network television. It'd be on Netflix, and it would have that square M up in the corner of the screen for mature audiences only. Now, sure, there are great parts of the story of of Jacob that are uh, heroic and noble, and parents tell these stories to their children at bedtime. But today's story of Jacob's two weddings is one of the stories you watch on Netflix after you've put the children down for bedtime. Well, before we get to the story that makes us blush, let's get caught up on what's happened to Jacob since last week's story. You remember last Sunday, the story was Jacob is fleeing from his brother Esau who's trying to kill him. He's running alone toward Haran in hopes that his uncle, his mother's brother, will take him in. He is a fugitive nephew. And on the journey, one night he stops 
to rest. He gets a a rock that he makes a pillow. He has a dream of a ladder that's going from heaven to earth and from earth to heaven. And God speaks to him in that dream. And he consecrates this place as holy, changes the name of the place to Bethel, which means house of God. That's last week's story. Here's what's happened between last week and today. Jacob continues traveling east, and he rolls up on a group of shepherds with their sheep by a well. And he learns that they are from uh, the community of Haran where his uncle lives. So he says to them, do you know my uncle Laban? Yeah, they say. And do you see that looker who's coming up here with a herd of sheep of her own? Uh, She's actually Laban's daughter. Well, Jacob cries with relief and delight. He meets Rachel. Rachel goes back home, tells her dad, and Laban warmly and eagerly invites his nephew to come stay with him at their home. Jacob stays a month. He's a month working and living as the guest of his uncle. And now we've gotten to today's story. Well, early in our story for today, we learn for the first time that Laban has actually two daughters, not one. We've met Rachel already. She's the stunner that Jacob saw coming to the well that day with her herd of sheep in tow. But the storyteller in Genesis introduces Laban's other daughter, Leah. And this is how he introduces her. Leah's eyes were lovely. Let me translate. That means something like, it's kind of the ancient equivalent to, she has a great personality (laughs) and makes her own clothes. So the writer tells us that, that, uh, that Rachel is graceful and beautiful and he almost gushes about Rachel. And then he pulls up short on the Leah description. But Rachel must have been something. Do any of you remember the uh, Atlanta lawyer, uh, Bob Steed, who also wrote in the AJC? Some, right? He wrote one time uh, about sitting on an airplane next to Allie McGraw. He said, She defies any calm description. I've always loved that line. I think that was what Rachel was like. Defied any calm description. But, you know, Leah's eyes were lovely. She baked a good pie. One day, uh, Laban says to Jacob, I'm not going to just work you to death on my farm and not pay you just because you're family. Let's talk, to you. Let's talk about you coming on payroll. What, what, do you think, you know, what do you think your wages should be? And that quickly he says, Rachel, I'll work for you for Rachel. I will do anything for Rachel. Jacob is absolutely smitten with the beautiful Rachel. 
He saw her first in work clothes as she's leading the sheep, and she was still stunning in her work clothes. And now, for a full month, all he can do is think about Rachel. Working in the field, Rachel. Breakfast, Rachel. And on the occasions that she walks into the room, his, his heart beats like a jackhammer and his mouth goes dry. So Jacob announces this excessive deal. I'll work seven years for you if you'll just let me marry Rachel. At the end of my term, after seven years, just let me marry Rachel. Deal. Jacob works his seven years. Time passes quickly because every day tingles with a hope and a longing that just keeps this goofy smile on his face. And then finally, it's his wedding week. It's her wedding week, what she's always dreamed of. It's a full week in that culture. It's the moment of truth. Here comes the bride. There's a gown and a dark veil, and the bride is behind the dark veil. And Jacob makes his pledge to his new bride. And, and you remember from last week and the week before that in that culture, once you have made a spoken vow, you can't take it back, right? You remember Jacob tricked his brother uh, and his father by getting them to speak what could not be taken back. Laban promised Jacob he could marry his daughter after seven years. But he failed to tell Jacob that in his country, the oldest daughter must marry first. And the bride behind the dark veil was the plain-faced Leah. The trickster has been tricked. And Jacob is distraught. Well, it's a dismissive and painful act toward Leah, but Jacob promises Laban another seven years if he can have Rachel too. He, he strikes a deal. Uh, marry now, pay later. I mean, the tux is still rented, right? We just got through this week's wedding. Let's just have a wedding next week, and we'll just get two going at the same time. So they start wedding number two as soon as the wedding to Leah is over, and Jacob marries two sisters in two weeks. And the storyteller in Genesis is just straight up honest. Jacob loves Rachel more than Leah. If there is a patron saint of those who drew the short end of the stick, it's Leah. Her wedding day, supposedly the happiest day in her life, and by the end of the week, her husband is in the arms of her little sister. She is not the first choice. The homely older sister is made to feel inferior one more time. 
I think Leah's a good person for us to think about when we are feeling mediocre ourselves. By the way, we are all inferior, and we all feel inferior. In some ways, we all catch that feeling of what it's like to feel inferior because in some ways we are all inferior. We aren't athletic. Or, or, or we keep getting passed over for the promotion at work. Or we have no musical talent. Or we carry unhealthy weight. We can't afford to give our children the same things that their friends get. We see others in our profession who are just better at it than we will ever be. People keep telling us we have lovely eyes and a great personality. We feel inferior because none of us can do everything we would like to do well, well. And sadly, those messages get reinforced. People tell us we're inferior. Sometimes folks have spouses who tell them all the time the ways they don't measure up, or parents who talk about what a disappointment you have been. A research group followed a group of executives one time for six weeks. They recorded the communication to the executives. They found that 67% of the input they received was negative. Don't watch commercials or read People magazine or look at Facebook if you don't want to feel inferior. Those are 24-7 reminders that there are plenty of people who are cuter and brighter and healthier and more successful than we are. We are all Leah. We compare. We fall short. We've been taught that winning is all that matters. As W.C. Fields put it, no one ever remembers numero two-o. And since nobody has ever climbed to the top of every heap, we are all left feeling inferior at some time. But, but, Leah is one of the great heroines of Israel. The sister that none of the boys wanted to sit next to is one of the great heroes of our faith story. She played the hand she was dealt. She played her role in redemptive history with grace, and her story becomes an ongoing reminder of God's grace. God always sides with the underdogs. And Genesis makes clear that God's promises to Jacob would never have come true apart from Leah. The second choice with the nice eyes. Leah has six sons and a daughter. One of her sons is named Judah. Judah. 
It translates, I will praise the Lord. The honored name of Judaism comes from her son, Judah. It is Leah's offspring. And guess what? Jesus is a descendant of Leah, not Rachel. It should not surprise us that the Savior who rides a donkey into Jerusalem comes from Leah's branch of the family and not Rachel's. God loves an underdog. Rachel died young. And though, and though Jacob loved Rachel with a red-hot passion, over time... He came to love Leah too. And Jacob and Leah are buried together next to Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Jacob. This is the hope-filled way of God. God is always setting a place at the table for those who don't think they have any right to be at the table. Leah's story shines bright hope on anyone who has labeled themselves mediocre and just figured that was their lot in life. Hope to anyone who was always picked last at kickball or who wants to be married and isn't, who keeps getting college rejection letters who wants to have a child and can't, who keeps getting passed over for advancement, who needs a third bedroom and can't afford it, who hides the scale in the closet, who won't go to any reunions. Leah is the redemptive story of the plain-faced second choice who kept trying. We tend to see our limitations. While God sees past our limitations and sees our possibilities, God never measures us against what we can do, but invites us to be who we are. The worst insult to our maker is to sulk in a corner about what we are not rather than offering God who we are. The Jewish uh, thinker, writer, scholar Martin Buber was like the rest of us. He wrestled with his inferiority too. He just stayed haunted by what he was not accomplishing until one day when he imagined what God would say to him when he died. God wouldn't say, why weren't you Abraham? Why weren't you Moses? Why weren't you David? God would say, why weren't you Martin Buber? Why aren't you who you are? 
Don't give the church and this world what you don't have to give. But give what you do have to give. Your beautiful, unique self. Whether you are good at many things or picked last all the time. God is not recruiting successful people or beautiful people. God is recruiting available people who are willing to offer up their broken insecurities into God's redemptive drama in hopes that their lives might touch somebody else's lives to redeem this world through love. That's the gospel story. It's the ongoing invitation. If you're looking for a place to just bring your blow-dried self and sit and impress other people, Second Ponce is not for you. This is a broken mess. I know some of you. (laughs) This is a whole glob of insecurity. Redeemed by God's grace. Trying to figure out how to do life together. Trying to figure out the will of God and lean into it. Trying to hold each other along the way. This is a place you'd like to locate your life. We'd love to have you here. But bring us your real self. And if you've never felt the love of God redeem that real self, you've never experienced what it is to have love overwhelm your insecurities, then let's talk about what Jesus has done for you already and can do for you going forward. Let's stand and sing and respond. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sondays at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church.